0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information please go to greenlitpodcasts.com Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the ceaseless joy of video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined as always by my two friends, Christelle. Living in Nightmare City and minty both
1: just add water
0: and for this very special episode we also have a very special guest in the form of Gabriel Rosa the director of Blue Fire a fantastic debut indie game from Argentinian game
2: devs Robbie Studios Gabriel, welcome to our three cents thanks guys, thanks for having me here
0: If you've listened to the more recent episodes of the podcast, you will have heard me talk about Blue Fire, a gorgeous, moody, action-adventure 3D platform game, which very much combines a lot of elements of games such as The Legend of Zelda, Dark Souls, Prince of Persia, Hollow Knight, lashings of hot 3D Mario, and weaves those elements into something entirely new, fresh, and original, and, in my opinion, quite brilliant. So we're going to delve deep into your work and Blue Fire.
2: But before we do that, Gabriel, what games are you playing at the moment? Well, uh, right now, uh, I'm not currently playing anything, especially because we've been so busy making sure the game is ready for all the uh, remaining platforms and fixing bugs since the game came out about a month ago. But uh, last year, I some of the coolest titles I played, I loved Celeste. It was just uh, amazing. So good. The, the narrative in that game was... Uh, I, I just wasn't expecting that kind of narrative from such a from a game that looks so simple, and the gameplay too was uh, just ama- amazing. Uh, yeah, I played Hollow Knight last year. The thing with Hollow Knight was uh, we showcased Blue Fire late twenty nineteen in Eva Buenos Aires in Argentina, mm. and when we came back, we had a lot of people come up to us in the booth and say, "This game looks so much like Hollow Knight." And I didn't even know what Hall Knight was at that time, <laughs> so I came back and yeah. the first thing I did, I, I picked up my my Nintendo Switch, and I, I got a copy of Hall Knight. And about uh, eight or ten hours later, I was uh, fighting Radiance, and I was uh, it was just <laughs> break, breathtaking the the quality of polish yeah. that game had, especially for a team so small. It, I was just completely impressed. It's such such a good game.
0: Like I I actually bought it for Minty for Christmas a couple of years ago because I know Minty's always been a little bit intimidated by Souls like games, and I thought that Hollow Knight was it was you know it's quite a nice sort of way into that sort of sub genre. And you got on okay with it, didn't you? I
1: oh, had a fair crack at it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, had a,
0: a ruddy good go at it, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know how far I got, but because it's just a big game. Like I I thought when I started it, I was in for like a six seven hour. Type game, mm. and it was like forty hours later, I was still, you know, squashing bugs. <laughs> yeah, it's large, isn't
1: it? <laughs> very large. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 It's got a very oppressive atmosphere to it as well. Yeah, cool. I didn't finish
1: it, but I, d- I didn't stop playing it because I was like, well, I don't like this. Just something else came along. Yes. I don't know What it was though?
2: Oh, and then the and um, what I also play, which we actually play here in the office with the whole team, but we play a lot of Smash, a lot of Smash. Oh, fantastic! Uh,
0: <laughs> lovely, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> So I wonder, I mean, obviously you make video games. I mean, obviously that's that's why you're here. And I'm, I'm a filmmaker by trade. And when I watch films and TV shows, I find that I'll be seeing little ideas and, and, and little things that they've done and banking them in the back of my brain to serve as like inspiration for, you know, my next projects. Do you do the same with video games? Or, you know, are you able to detach yourself from that just to, you know, to just enjoy games as they are? Or are you always thinking like, Oh, I wonder how they did this. I wonder if we could do something like this.
2: Well, it's hard because sometimes I'll just go into a game and I'll want to enjoy myself, but then something comes up, which is very similar to something which I was looking into. I was investigating or something we did internally, and it's just too much. And (laughs) then sometimes I even like stop a game or pause a game and I'll start looking into like uh, internet threads or forums and I'll see into like a tech analysis of how they did something specifically or i'll save references or i'll even look at similar games or i'll open like wikipedia and i'll look for uh the developer history i'll look at the reception for the game and i'll just go into a whole bunch of stuff and sometimes i can't help myself it's too much but uh every once in a while i'm I'm able to just enjoy myself
0: I do exactly the same with films. As soon as the credits roll, I'll be straight on IMDb looking at all the trivia. Then I'll go onto Wikipedia and I'll find out all the different approaches of the film. I'll start then going through Metacritic and looking at all the reviews, looking at the best reviews, looking at the bad reviews, seeing what they picked apart. Then I'll frantically go through my phone list and try and think of somebody who might have seen it so I can then chat even more analysis (laughs) over it. I remember when I was studying film in school, my teacher said, Just so you know, before you start doing film studies, you know, a lot of people say this will ruin films for you, but I don't think that's true. I think it ruins bad films for you, but it makes you appreciate the good films more. Hopefully that's the case with you with games. So when you find a game like say something like smash that is absolutely tipped up. You can just sit back or hollow night and go, okay. Yeah. Fair play. This is, this is just brilliant. This is really brilliant. And I know what I'm talking about because I make this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree. And sometimes I, I think it even makes the, uh, you can get a lot more from the same product because I not only get to enjoy the game, but I'll, I'll look at slow most in YouTube of the game and like, Hmm, 10 seconds of a gameplay somebody else played, I can pull that apart and I can spend like an hour, maybe looking at it and be completely amazed. And uh, I mean, I I like it so I could spend, uh, if I I could play a game in a day, I can be like a whole week looking into how it was made and still appreciate the game. So it just makes the whole thing a lot more enjoyable for me.
0: So Robbie Studios is a brand new independent game studio based in Argentina and Blue Fire is is uh, is your first, is your you know, your debut release. So, Gabriel, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how uh, the studio started and the challenges you faced in creating your first proper game? Well, uh, it wasn't easy,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it took a long time. I set out to make a game around seven years ago, and at that time, I was finishing my university studies. Suddenly, I... I had an issue with one of the teachers, so I had to drop out from a, from a specific uh, semester and I suddenly had a huge amount of time in my hands and I wanted to pick up a gaming back again just because I used to play a lot when I was a child and I also really liked uh, game making when I was a child and I started looking for games that I liked as a kid and I wanted to see how those had evolved but I couldn't really uh, associate with those titles because a lot of them, I I really liked uh, first-party Nintendo games, and I kind of felt that uh, the Zelda series and also like Mario games just hadn't grown up with me in terms of uh, themes, because I really wanted to play like Mm. darker games and games with uh, combat and especially harder games. I want to play hard games. (laughs) So I started looking into mod content, uh, people making uh, like uh, Zelda fan games and stuff, And I couldn't really find anything that felt polished enough to say, okay, I'm going to download this and I'm going to spend a good 20, 30 hours on this. So I started uh, just like reading the internet and I started reading about uh, the engines used nowadays. I started reading about uh, Unity and Unreal Engine, which were unknown to me. And then I crossed something called uh, Kickstarter which I had never heard of before, (laughs) at that time, it seemed to me like, I don't know, God sending a message to me or something. (laughs) And I reached out to a friend and I said, dude, we we have to make an adult or dark themed hard Zelda type of game because it's going to work. And that was, that was seven years ago. And I was Mm -hmm. convinced I could pull off a successful Kickstarter campaign in about three months. And, of course, that wasn't the case. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, we had no idea how to uh, make a video game. And even when we started looking at the technical aspects of making a video game, there's a whole uh, business side of things that uh, there's no way you can learn um, without the proper experience. For a long time, I think it was for about a year or a year and a half, I was completely convinced that the only thing stopping uh, me from putting the game out there was that people wouldn't give me funding. But that I had the uh, ability to do it and it was after uh, like probably at the third or fourth year where I I realized that uh, if people had given me the money uh, before, I would have completely screwed up everything (laughs) and maybe even get so frustrated that I I wouldn't even want to make games again because making games is easy. Leading a commercial project and leading a company is a whole another thing. And I, I, w- I wasn't ready at the time. So it's actually a great thing that I didn't even do a Kickstarter. It, it, in the end, it worked out. But like I was saying, at the time we thought that was gonna work. And I started working with a friend and we worked for about a, a year and a half, maybe two years. And it was a time where I, I struggled a lot because I had a pretty much full-time uh, remote job. I had to put that a part-time so I could actually work in game development. It was hard for a long, very long time and by the time after about those 2 years we I, we got to a point where we could potentially get a publisher and make a smaller game because we had reduced the scope to a, like a 4 or 5 hour game but at that time i realized we had a lot of differences with my partner at that time so we kind of split and then shortly i started working with my with my brother who joined me and we started uh i guess dreaming about uh, roby and we worked a lot on on outsourcing for quite a while. And then eventually we just always wanted to do video games. So one year we just decided, okay, let's uh, go all in. Let's start by renting an office. So we rented an office floor and we started bringing in people to work with us on on the team. And everybody who came in started working on what eventually was going to become Blue Fire. And we initially started on Blue Fire, just like me, my brother, and uh, two other guys from the team. We would all work for about four hours in the morning and then everybody would leave except me and my brother which would do uh, outsourcing work for around eight more hours <laughs> cool it was like four or five months of that until we just said okay let's go all in and we have enough funding to go for a few months let's just uh, hope we can find a publisher before that time comes and we just completely quit uh, and and stopped our freelance uh, like uh, outsourcing work and we started working on Bluefire, and luckily it was like a month and a half before we were, the graffiti team reached out to us, and we started talking about signing Bluefire, and it just uh, happened two months later. It just all came together. But uh, like like I said before, it was like a huge, it, it was like a really long journey. And I think sometimes uh, developers, especially like beginner developers, look at games, like maybe games like us, hopefully young developers look at us and, and say, I, we kind of want to be like them. It, it would it would make me proud, I guess. But uh, a lot of time they, they're just going to look at us and they're going to see these guys made this. They got a publisher and they finished the game. But there's so much work and knowledge that we gained throughout the years that allowed us to do all that, which is kind of uh, invisible to the eye, I guess, when you're a young developer. Yeah. But as you get the experience, it's very easy to talk with somebody and know if they have that experience or not. Because when you're a young developer, yeah, I guess one of the biggest challenges is uh, you need a you need an an investment. You need cash to make your game, and you need a game to get cash.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so basically,
2: yeah. you're faced with that, which is like super. It's super hard. I guess a good thing, like something I would really recommend people, which I started doing uh, probably later than I should have, is start talking a lot and start making friends that are in the industry, they have a lot more experience than you and they can help and guide you to do the, take the correct decisions. Because I'm guessing the, probably more than half of any young developer out there would benefit a lot from just grabbing whatever game they're working on and reducing the scope to half or like a quarter of whatever they're doing. Just get it out there as soon as possible and learn so much stuff from publishing that game. And it's going to make their life easier if they try to do a bigger project next time and start speaking with people to uh, get uh, any type of funding. So that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, really brilliant. I've seen a lot of people do like uh, these super long posts, maybe on like uh, Reddit or Gamasutra or a lot of forums, or you'll see them often in, uh, in some platforms that developers go out there, they want to do their first game and they have this huge impossible goals and they spend like two, three or four years working on a project or maybe even like one year. I mean, if you have a wife of kids and you spend one year of your life working five or six hours after your job on a game, it's enough time to, to I don't know, potentially ruin your marriage. Yeah. So yeah, so I, yeah. there's a lot of people going on saying that encouraging that you have to go out and go all in on projects. But I think you also have to be very careful because I mean, make sure you speak with the right people because I've seen a lot of developers spend several years of, of their life on one project. And sometimes I just look at the project and you can just see like five seconds of the project and you can see that it was a bad idea from the beginning. Mm. And I guess I was lucky because when I made uh, all the mistakes I made, which I trust me, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I started game development when I was living with my parents. So even if I like lost money or or whatever, they were still like, Feed me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's quite but important. It's not. It's not. It's not the same for everybody, and and I think it's. Su- I think it's super important because I've seen people like even leave the industry because they spend two years on a project which never even made sense. And I think that's a bummer because some of those de- developers are awesome, and they just needed uh, somebody who had a bit more experience ruining everything or making mistakes to tell them this is okay and this is not. And just I guess kind of. Sc- Scope or project, so I think it's super important to to do that. So you've heard my
0: opinions on uh, on Blue Fire from when I uh, reviewed it on the show, well, I say reviewed it. I certainly shared my thoughts on uh, on it. But in preparation for this episode, Chris and Minty have both decided to dip their toe in the pool of Blue Fire <laughs> and I mean, if it were me, I'd be I, I I'd be very
3: excited to share my opinions of the game with the director. So Chris, <laughs> no pressure. What did you make of the game? Well, I think Blue Fire is a very Jonathan Dunn game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, wasn't a su- it wasn't a surprise to me when, when you brought this to our attention initially that I think this is a game that draws from a lot of your favorite genres and, and as you've already touched upon, it references some of your very favorite games according to your list yeah. as we've been working through this. And by extension, because of that, I'd be the first person to admit that it is a different title than what I usually play. It's kind of a genre that's sort of outside of my my usual wheelhouse. I've never been the big Zelda person. I, I've never kind of got into Souls like games kind of thing, but it's been really enjoyable to to learn the ins and outs of something very new to me. And I know to always kind of use the Souls games as a as a comparison point can feel a bit lazy in in modern <laughs> games criticism. But you know, I know even from my limited time with that series that Blue Fire does have some clear nods to that kind of dark setting, the sort of interconnected play spaces, the, the sort of challenging combat. But what it does completely differently, and what I think is really, really unique about this title, it, and what sets it apart from, from many games that are kind of operating in this space, is that it takes away the sort of lumbering weight of a Dark Souls character, and instead makes you really fast and nippy and maneuverable. And, you know, movement in Blue Fire is really fun. and if the combat in the game is maybe slightly easier than a, than a standard Souls-like game, at least from the three or four hours I've played those titles, the platforming and traversal is where all of the challenges in this title. And yeah. the choice to make that the focus of the game is, is fascinating to me because it's, a, it's such a different approach. And it's, it becomes one of the most radically different takes on platforming I've seen in, in ages, really. Like, I really enjoy exploring in games. A lot of the games on my list have been about kind of just, you know, exploring a space, finding out kind of what this world is like and i really like the feeling that in blue fire i always have a good level of control in how i get my character from a to b and i think blue fire is very open in how it lets you move very freely around each space and it that even if you don't have the abilities to to reach certain areas straight away so it's almost as if it's kind of like gated almost like a metroidvania that you pick up the skills later but there's always that idea that you will get there eventually And playing through some of the game's void challenges, which are basically the the levels that exist outside of the main world and have serious but focused platforming challenges. In one, I saw quite early on that I'd need a wall jump or I'd need a double jump or something similar to actually beat it. And then finding that ability became the main focus for me, a kind of organic goal was part of the game, that it wasn't something that was in the pause menu saying, this is the quest you're on now, or this is a side quest but it's one that then sits in the back of your head and something that you're reminded of just whenever you see that platform just out of reach. And I really like that sort of clever design that just lays a seed in the player's head and then lets you kind of solve the problem yourself. It's, you know, it's not a big thing that flashes up that says, go and find the double jump. It's just, (laughs) you know, you need something that allows you to do that and you just will find it in time. I think there's elements of of early 3D adventure games like Tomb Raider and Prince of Persia in Blue Fire. But again, it's it's the versatility and quick movement of the character that made me think of something like Celeste. I know Gabriel, you said you only played it recently, Mm -hmm. but that game has such an incredible control of your character within kind of a 2D space. I think Blue Fire really nails that within a 3D game. And that ability to kind of traverse a level comfortably and with real skill is really enjoyable because there is a a steep learning curve here and death can be quite punishing at times when you're a long way back from a save point. But I found myself coming back each time, even if I have failed previously, it's just that sometimes I might need like an evening's rest to recharge before (laughs) I go back in and try again. The other thing I, I really enjoyed so far is that I like games that have a verticality and you know, quite a long time ago now on my list, I brought up Crackdown on the Xbox 360. Yeah. And for me, that has such nice scope for vertical exploration. And just a few areas into Blue Fire, when you get to Stoneheart City, or at least kind of the the approach to that part of the game, you're greeted with a real maze of platform puzzling that felt reminiscent of, of some of Crackdown's, like quite literally towering challenges. And I think, you know, Dark Souls, from the, the small amount I have played, has always seemed quite flat in its topology because you're not a character that is leaping about. But by presenting Blue Fire as a platformer, first and foremost, as opposed to a straight kind of action RPG souls-like in that way, all the stages have this ability to just extend upwards and that's far more than most of its contemporaries would ever dare. Like overall, I'm probably, I'm four or five hours into Blue Fire, I think. I think my, my percentage says I'm at like 20, 25% somewhere along there. And I just think it's an incredibly assured game for a first project from an independent team. And it's been fantastic seeing a title like this, obviously first showcased in things like Nintendo Directs, but absolutely and and actually deliver on its goal of mixing inspirations to present something that feels quite functionally new. So yeah, I've, I've loved my time with it so far. It's funny you say that, because like when I saw the, the first trailer for it in that uh,
0: indie showcase, I think it was not the Nintendo Direct, like you, I was like, oh my goodness this is like someone's made a game for me this looks like exactly the combination of so many things that I love and to actually deliver on that that's uh you know that that's impressive there was those part of me when, when when it was released I thought you know what I'm gonna wait for the reviews to come in uh, just in case because I don't want to be disappointed but I was just so excited <laughs> I was like you know what I don't care what the reviews say and I bought it and played it and was like okay, no, this is exactly what I wanted. This is, <laughs> Which is, yeah, you know, like I, I highlighted it in our 2020, you know, review of the year. We talked about games we were looking forward to in, in 2021. And, you know, and I and I mentioned this alongside uh, Elden Ring from From Software, which we're probably not going to get this year, or like new Pokemon Snap, you know, but, and, and I mentioned Blue Fire. So, you know, to have high expectations and to deliver on that is um, very nice. Very nice. Good job, <laughs> Minty. How did you get on with Bluefire?
1: Oh, I'm still getting on with it. Like Chris, I'm enjoying it very much. It's nice that you picked up on the idea of verticality and how it feels like a platformer first. That's something that I'm really enjoying because the movement is such an important thing in games. Like it sounds like a stupid and obvious thing to say, but if a game doesn't control well, then there's no point in playing it because it's everything just snowballs from there and it's just not fun. Yeah. So. When it comes to a game that is so uh, so fluid, it's so it's got a real it's got a real lightness to it. It's 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 a it's a real dream to play actually. And coming from a a background of uh, of big sprawling RPGs and putting so many hundreds of hours into things like Skyrim and all the rest of it, I'm very accustomed to the idea of the quest marker, and to come across a game that has uh, has none of that. You you just uh, end up in someone's house and they say, Well, I, I haven't seen my mum for a while. If you find her on your travels, can you tell her to come home? And you just jot that down in your book, but there's no there's nothing like a, a big arrow saying, This could be his mum. <laughs> like, yeah. none of that. It's just it's 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 it just adds to that to that sweeping mystery. It's 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 just a very It just feels like a very mindful experience for me, just to walk around with that lovely lightness, that speed of movement, being able to leap so high, run across walls and all the rest of it. It's just, oh, it's a really refreshing experience. I'm really enjoying it. Just to see things in the distance go up into the sky, to be dwarfed by all of these strange monoliths. Oh, mm, chef's kiss. Mm. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's lovely i like the fact that the game allows
0: you to be lost i recently played uh, the game control and similarly that's a game where it's exactly the sort of setup you'd expect to have quest markers and a compass and and you know to be have your hand held from point a to point b but it didn't and my initial reaction to that sort of thing is is that oh come on you just give me a hand but uh <laughs> when you actually you remember that actually that that never used to be a thing in games and just to just to be in a world mm. uh, and explore it and and that's where blue fire really works for me is because it is like we said it's fun to explore it because it's so fun to to control yeah yeah so something we talk a lot about on the podcast when remembering our favorite games is the lineage of gaming ideas uh, mechanics tropes designs concepts because it fascinates us to see how innovation happens. And this often happens as a solution to the problems that the advances in technology then present. And, you know, like we said, looking at a game like Blue Fire, we can see elements that have taken inspiration from Zelda, Dark Souls, loads of other things as well. You know, they often say that there's there are no new ideas under the sun uh, that everything can be described as a combination of other ideas that have come before it. You know, Gabriel, you said yourself, actually, is there a hole in the market for a, a dark, moody Zelda game and then identifying those niche holes in the market and approaching it in a clever and creative way? That's how you create something really, really exciting. So given the fact that Celeste and Hollow Knight two games that I would definitely say felt like Blue Fire was inspired by. Given the fact that you came to those, you know, obviously a long time after you'd started work on the project,
2: what what were the games that, you know, particularly served as inspiration for you, Gabriel? When we initially started Blue Fire, actually, before we started work on Blue Fire, we actually started a, another project. We set out to do a, a 3D platformer, but it was just just platformer, like no action. And we felt that there was a like, Like you said, like there was a hole in the market for a game that was a 3D platformer, very, very challenging, like a 3D super meat boy. And we also wanted to have the game have a a very strong uh, narrative uh, curve, but we wanted to have a a Pixar way of storytelling. So have it be like colorful, cheerful characters that uh, like kids could like, but have them be smart and have them have uh, this special humor like a Pixar movie, you know, you'll like, yeah, you'll go see a Pixar movie with like your niece or something, and everybody has fun. Like adults have fun, <laughs> parents have fun. Every, everybody has fun because they have clever jokes. So we just wanted to, we wanted to mix that with uh, early two thousands type of uh, platforming and a challenging twist, like have it be hard. And we also wanted to the platforming to have something original. So what we actually did is we kind of copied a. Uh, the uh, squid diving mechanic from uh, Splatoon. Nice. And it, it was actually a very interesting concept. And we made a prototype for that and we showcased it at a, at two events. And what happened was the following. A lot of people will see the game and I guess people judged the game by the first one or two seconds and everybody immediately thought it was a kid's game. Mm-hmm. And we knew that even if even if it was a fun game, if nobody's gonna get the correct concept of what the game is supposed to be or what it's trying to be from the start, then it would be a complete disaster. So we just actually ended up completely uh, throwing that. Like we scrapped that project and we said we learned what people really did like from the game, which was the uh, controller. There were a lot of things in the controller that people just loved. They said it's so fun to move around with. And we also started looking at statistics and we saw that uh, something that people, really one in games they buy is literally like combat and it's it it can be just anything but just people like breaking and killing stuff as as simple as that may sound (laughs) It's, it's 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 just like that i kind of picked back that original inspiration that got me into game development was which was make something a lot darker and i say why don't we try this so we brought the best from the failed project and we mixed that with uh, some of the stuff I had in my mind earlier. And we initially had this uh, concept for Blue Fire, which was a bit more simple because at that time, like I said, we were, when we made the first concept for Blue Fire, it was just like three of us or even two of us. We wanted to make something that we could potentially deliver on, and we didn't know how much funding or anything we would have. So the first concept for Blue Fire, was a lot more inspired uh, by Journey and the Shadow of the Colossus mm. than it is right now. Yeah. But we wanted to have uh, this whole this whole world that the player could platform around in. And we didn't want to have any type of dialogue because we didn't even have money to pay uh, localization. All of the characters in the game were levitating because we didn't have budget and we didn't have time for to make animations with... Yeah people who walked so <laughs> everybody just kind of hovered over the floor and didn't have legs and we wanted to have four uh giants like four titans that you would platform onto so it, it wasn't like a shadow of the colossus thing where it's more like the narrative than something else it was a lot more focused on gameplay kind of like uh if mario had a the equivalent of a Shadow of the Colossus uh, Colossus. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of go for that and have it be a lot more narrative experience. But as we started developing the game and we started bringing in more people and we started talking about the lore and the gameplay, it started uh, going in this, the direction that the team felt most comfortable in and following the content that worked versus the content that didn't work. So for example, the, the Giants, they actually worked in terms of uh, gameplay, but... uh In terms of animation and mesh, it was just so much work that at the same time that we could do all that, we could do a whole bunch of content in a different uh, direction that was also equally or even more fun. So we just started uh, looking at other games and other references. And to go back to your actual question, because I just realized I,
1: uh,
2: (laughs) I, I got way off. I think we, we we wanted to mix platforming with uh, an adventure games like Zelda, and we wanted to bring in the theme and the difficulty of uh, Dark Souls. I, I would say those three are the biggest uh, references, but as we went through development, we also started looking at, uh, at games that people said, this looks like this. So I actually ended up playing like Hollow Knight and Celeste because people said it reminded them of these games. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I picked them up and I played them and I try to see exactly what they meant when they said it was similar. And I try to learn from them both what they did good and what they did bad. Hopefully, we were able to uh, prevent something that we were going to do the same. And hopefully, we were able to improve some of our stuff based on stuff that the other games also did good.
3: I think you have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you absolutely have. In In terms of it feels like its own game. I, I think we've all said in our yeah. kind of critiques that Blue Fire feels like it... Very much has its own identity whilst obviously having these kind of reference points and kind of having these inspirations, but it is really interesting that it sounds like the whole design was driven by a very specific desire to cater to something that wasn't really available and I think to fill a gap like that it's it's been really successful because it, it does plug that gap I think it does kind of draw from all those sources to to be its own thing whilst also almost like going down a checklist of, of these other elements that that you wanted to have in there from from day one yeah it makes me excited
0: to think about actually where something like the legend of zelda series could go if they embraced i mean not necessarily the platforming elements because i mean well to be honest it took what 3d zelda games over 20 years to get a jump button so i think (laughs) 3d platforming is probably uh, decades away for zelda (laughs) but if it employed a setup like a souls-like sort of set up with save points and respawning enemies and having that sort of element to it oh boy i mean if they came out and announced that breath of the wild 2 was going to be a souls like then that's what i'd want but seeing blue fire and seeing that trailer in the uh, indie showcase that was me going
2: yeah i don't have that and i want that so thank you <laughs> <laughs> well thanks well yeah and, and to add to that i mean i i don't think sell platforming is never going to be a big thing in Zelda. The same way I don't think uh, like dungeons or puzzles or, or adventure mm-hmm. or progression-driven adventure is going to be a big thing in Mario just because I think there's probably two of the biggest, Nintendo's biggest IPs. And if Zelda starts uh, leaking into Mario territory, it's, yeah. it's not useful for them. So I think the uh, platforming dungeon progression-based uh, game, which is kind of what we aim for, It's not something that Nintendo's ever going to want to do.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So in terms of like your priorities with Blue Fire, we've said before about how gameplay is the most important thing. If it doesn't feel, if it's not fun to play, what's the point? (laughs) Which is my argument against a lot of AAA titles that prioritize a cinematic experience over actually being fun to play. What were your sort of priorities then with Blue Fire? Was it making sure that the platforming was right, and then what point did you think actually, no, we need to make sure we nail the art style or the music? How did you sort of make sure that the game was really hitting the mark in the in the important places first and foremost? Well, I like
2: to be honest, we we didn't 100% have a hundred percent have a formula for that. We just kind of had to uh, iterate and we what really helped is we had a uh, weekly meetings with the team at the start of the w- of the week and everybody would would uh pitch in and would give feedback on how everything was looking. And then we'd sit like I would specifically sit down and just try to uh analyze all that feedback and we would try to address whatever we felt needed to be addressed. But uh gameplay was definitely the number one priority. We had the complete character controller like pretty much done before we even started blocking out the world or um, before we even knew how the story ended. And as we moved forward, we just kind of felt like there were several pillars in the game. And if the second to second controller was uh, really advanced, we would just try to uh, lift the other pillars. So we, w- we started with the player controller. Then we also started working a lot on the uh, world building then we started working in specific puzzles or mechanics. And then we started working on the narrative. And like we even we had the go whole game working before we decided that we had enough time to add in cinematics. So we ended up adding small cinematics here or there just because we felt we were at a point where time spent on small cinematics would be better to the player than spending that same time in adding more content because the content just kind of felt like it was it was okay like we had this narrative arc in terms of in terms of a gameplay and it was time that the story caught up with that so I, i guess that's kind of how we decided where to spend the time on But all the time, it was um, what's going to be best for the player now. And gameplay was a priority for everything. So if we had to change a cutscene or if we had to change something in the narrative to fit the gameplay, it was like a no-brainer. We would just go ahead and do that.
0: That's really, really interesting. And I think that that is the right way around to prioritize things. Because I think, I mean, getting balance right in a game is... It's got to be one of the toughest things. I mean, me and Chris, when we were kids together, we used to toy with making games on um, like Games Factory and Click and Play and stuff like that. Great games. They were, they were very high quality <laughs> games. And, and something that occurred to me when I was making those is that when you're playing a game that you've bought, you think, oh, this is hard, or I'm not sure how to get past this bit, but I know that there, there must be a solution. When you're making a game, that's not the case. If you make something and you play it and you think, oh, maybe this is too hard. It's like, actually, maybe it's impossible. I might have made something that's not possible to be uh, completed. And playtesting is not something that an indie game or an indie studio can can do on the same scale as like, you know, big-budget studios can you know, afford to get dozens of people to playtest a game within an inch of its life, uh, to squeeze out every little issue that might affect its audience. And still, bugs will come through. And sometimes, despite the budget of a game like, say, Cyberpunk the game will still be released and be unplayable. Um, and it's been really, really interesting to be actually be part of the Robbie Studios Discord channel to see feedback coming in for the game and the conversation between you guys and the community looking to sort of, you know, refine and improve the game. Because, I mean, as it is, it's it's a monumentally impressive game that has the level of polish that you just don't see in other indie games. But I was wondering if perhaps you could talk a little bit about how this engagement with like the community works for you guys, because... You know, obviously some bits of feedback are going to be quite useful. Like, oh, I found a bug that, or I found a typo or something, but then you might get people throwing in ideas or feedback saying, oh, it's too hard. You know, you should do this. You should put more save points in that then, you know, doesn't align with your vision for the game. So how do you go about refining
2: it and developing patches for the game? It's a super interesting topic. And it's something that for us is completely new because we've been doing a lot of game development and outsourcing But uh, launching our first game, uh, so much stuff has come up, which uh, we're just learning along the way. Having the community has been just amazing. Both the Reddit and the Discord, especially the the Discord, has been uh, completely amazing and has been a complete eye opener for us. And there's just so much stuff that we learned that we would do very different next time. And something along those lines were all the uh, bugs. Because we, we immediately realized that we, we played the game a lot. Like before launch, the month before launch, some of the guys in the team probably played the complete game from beginning to end about uh, like 20 times. <laughs> and we just and we fixed a lot of stuff. But then we, we put the game out there and in less than a day, thousands of people have played it. And we were aware of one, two or three or s- small things that could uh, bother players. We were naive. We just weren't really aware of the impact that it would be to have that happen in like thousands of players and then the next day more thousands of players and i think like i don't know how many people played the game the first week but i mean i guess that's a lesson like next time either we do like an early access sort of thing or we we look into having uh hundreds of people playing the game or something but we actually needed more than that and it was great that we had the community because we had a Channel in which people could uh, tell us everything that they were having issues with, so that was just amazing. It helps us because the first week, we knew the first two or three weeks, we were probably going to roll out uh, one or two patches, so we were kind of ready for that. But it was just a lot of stuff that we had to fix, and as it started coming in, we had people in the team just organize it, and then we had other people in the team fix it. But honestly, the community has been amazing because we were also able to learn what exactly people like about the game, what people either didn't like about the game. And we also saw everything that people want to share, which is a lot better because whatever content you can enjoy and also share, uh, you can enjoy twice because you'll you'll be able to uh, play it up. Privately, and then you'll also be able to uh, have all this enjoyment of uh, of online or social interaction. Yeah. So I think moving forward, it's uh, it's important that we try to add that element to whatever we make and have people be able to uh, share that experience. Just because I think it means a lot for some people, which is also something that we uh, that personally touched me a lot, which I really loved about releasing the game. But it just surprised me how much the social interaction around the game meant to some people. And some people who literally, uh, I I mean, I've noticed in the Discord, have uh, like personally grown, being able to interact in the community and like making friends and Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the game and sharing stuff. And it's just been uh, like, it's huge. And if we can make games which uh, help people in being able to have that personal growth and have that room to make friends and talk to other people, and also enjoy themselves, I, I think that's that's awesome. So that's one of the biggest things I think I personally uh, learned from having uh, our, our first community.
0: It is a really nice channel. It's great that there's spaces for, for all kinds of different conversation about sort of people who want to talk more about the lore or people who want to get into, you know, uh, speed running it, in addition to just, you know, obviously just giving feedback and giving suggestions. And there's a lot of toxic atmosphere in a lot of gaming communities, especially, you know, in, if you're trying to play something like you know one of the big games like call of duty or fortnite or something like that it's just you just you don't want to be hanging out with those people <laughs> uh, it's, uh, but you know but coming into uh coming on to uh the uh blue fire discord i i felt comfortable in giving my feedback and saying oh actually i found found this little bug which obviously then led to me reaching out and uh, and 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 setting this up and it's yeah it's really really good and I, i'm glad that it's been a positive thing for you guys as well because again it's a very tricky thing to do when you're when you release something to the public and you start getting feedback and if you start then sort of making stuff to try and please everyone you're going to end up making something that is just really nondescript uh, just a beige blob in the middle of a room so it's really really good that you guys are benefiting from it and finding it constructive that's really really cool so <laughs> i'm going off on a tangent here but my daughter is four months old but we spent nine months watching her grow in in the womb, uh, and it's a weird thing because you know people talk about her birthday as in like the no, November the thirteenth, but actually we'd spent so long. People didn't didn't care about you know us sort of like going for scans and all of that sort of stuff. All they cared about was, all right, the baby's out now. So your baby's out now.
1: <laughs> That's a seamless <super> link.
0: <laughs> <laughs> your baby's out now but you've been growing it for seven years i guess there's probably quite a bit of pressure to kind of keep the ball rolling at quite a high momentum and it's, it's great that you've i mean i've seen a lot of positive feedback uh, to blue fire and reviews and other feedback how do you take that forward you know and what sort of projects do you think that you're going to follow this with
2: right now we're still like uh, super busy with blue fire since we still have several platforms that the game has to come out with. Mm. And the community is still uh, very active. And honestly, I'm personally actually enjoying it a lot too, because we worked so hard uh, in the game, and we also looked at so many other games referenced and everything. And these last few weeks, I've had so many moments where I was able to just speak with people like on Discord, on, on Reddit, or like live streams, I had like, uh, or like the, what this is the first podcast. yes in. I've had a lot of these opportunities, and I'm enjoying so much being able to talk with people about what they liked about the game and hearing them out, talking about uh, similar games. It's super refreshing for me, and it's been an, an awesome experience. And we're also I can't confirm it like a hundred percent, but there's a big chance that. uh we're gonna have more, more slightly more content for Blue Fire as DLC. Excellent. And besides that, we were also starting to think about where, what's what's gonna be next for Roby. And I think there's a lot of stuff that we're gonna do very similar because Blue Fire was like such a healthy project, both in terms of production, of the team, the people that uh, we spoke to uh, for like interviews, marketing videos, and it, we, we just got to meet uh, so many cool people that hopefully uh, we get to do this again. And in terms of uh, gameplay, we're gonna see how things go. We're not 100% sure yet. We have a, a huge uh, amount of ideas, but I think one, of, uh, one key factor that I would personally really like in any of these ideas is um, probably try to have a uh, user-generated content in a way that enhances enhances the experience. Yeah. Because I think, like looking back at uh, at the community and launch, I just kind of feel that uh, it would have been so amazing to have everybody who's been active also be able to create and express themselves. It would just have been uh, so much more engaging, even for me, because I I love the game and I played it. I, I don't know how many times I played it. When people in the studio work on new content, we still enjoy so much playing the game. But uh, the main storyline for the game, I've just seen it so much, like literally so much, that it's it's not as fun right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't imagine uh, how cool it would be if we would have been able to have user-generated content, both for us and for so much people in the community. A lot of people are asking uh, if there's any chance we're gonna have modding support because they like to have a. Custom characters and so much, uh, so many other stuff. Mm. I, I, I think one of the big takeaways from this project is that we want to try to create a bit more around the community mm. rather than just uh, what we really like for gay because that was awesome. Uh, there, I think there's also a lot of stuff that uh, I'm not thinking like, okay, what do you got, one guys? And I like, have a huge amount of yeah. people throw out <laughs> ideas because sometimes. <laughs> it's very different what people uh, are going to like yeah. or what people want yeah. than what people say they want. Exactly, yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's. I think it's it, it's important that we just be alert and we listen to everything, but then we have to do analyze everything and see what's actually going to be amazing and what's going to be a life changer for them. Because if, if we can deliver on a product that's not only super fun, but that can also somehow benefit uh, people's lives outside the game that's even better. And there's a lot of games that are going in that direction right now. And I think at some point we can try. At least we can try. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I
0: mean, I, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. I'll definitely be up for some Blue Fire DLC, I'll, you know, and uh, that'll be very exciting to see what happens with that. And I like the approach that you've taken to uh, to, to how you've made blue fire and and the ideas behind it and uh yeah i can't wait to see what you guys do after that it was yeah very exciting So there we go. You have been listening to Our Three Cents and Gabriel Rosa from Roby Studios talking about Blue Fire. It has been uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Gabriel. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that. You can go to facebook.com slash r3cents to find the Facebook page. You can go to YouTube and search for Our Three Cents to see all of our video content, including our recent Binding of Isaac runs. You can even find us on Instagram at O3C Podcast. At O3C Podcast is also where you find us on Twitch if you want to log on to see us stream live. We also have a Patreon page. If you're really enjoying what we're doing and you fancy getting a bit more out of us, there is tons of bonus content up for grabs over at patreon.com r 3 cents there's several pledging tiers it's not that expensive <laughs> it's not that expensive no, not. and there's full bonus episodes there's deleted scenes and outtakes there's custom artwork up for grabs i mean there's bonus video content loads of stuff it's uh, well worth checking out or you can get in touch with us individually i am on twitter at jonathan dunn I am at Chaz underscore Hodges.
1: And I'm Clement underscore Boo.
0: Gabriel, if people want to follow you and Roby Studios, what is the best place to do that?
2: So I, I would actually just go ahead and follow uh, Roby Studios on, on Twitter and join the Discord if you want to talk about the game or maybe check it out if you still haven't played the game. And if you like what you see, uh, hopefully you'll people want to give it a try. Fantastic.
0: And please do join us next episode where we will be continuing counting down our top 10 favourite video games of all time.
3: Bye-bye.
0: Farewell. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And
3: now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants. And a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our sassy robot companion?
1: I'm the star of the show.
3: Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the Greenlit Podcast Network.